on what's this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Join the show this week, as ever, we have Paul Whiteside from The Devil in Detail. How's your week been, mate? Yeah, hey, Rob, yeah, I'm OK, thank you. Not too, too bad. Looking forward to another action-packed show and of rugby league and boxing and many other sports, mate. So I'm looking forward to chatting about it. Yeah, we've got loads and loads to talk about on the Sports Zone this week. We're joined by Jane Sweetman from the Sweetman Salsi podcast. How's your week been, mate? Yeah, terrific week, Rob. I mean, there's so much to talk about, isn't there? I mean, Leicester winning the FA Cup. We've got Josh Taylor versus Jose Ramirez this weekend. There's so much to break down over the next hour. Yeah, so what we'll do, we'll start off with the Rugby League. Paul and Salford Devils, 30 years ago today, Salford Devils faced Halifax in the Premiership Second Division final at Old Trafford and beat them. It was a fantastic game, wasn't it, Paul? It was, yeah. It doesn't seem... I feel old now. It doesn't seem 30 years ago. I was only a young lad back then. and uh, Yeah, it's one of the... probably the first... Yeah, it was the first trophy I saw Salford win. And, yeah, very, very special day. I still remember putting my flag out of the window from the car on the way home. My dad gave me permission. And, uh, yeah, it was a good day. Great, great time to be a Salford fan, to be honest. That season was a magical one. I remember Workington in the, the semi-finals. We played them... Uh, we drew at Salford actually, and then played them on a Wednesday night in a replay. So it was exciting times, and obviously the final at Old Trafford was a was a double header along with the first division game, which I think was Witness and Hull, if I remember rightly. So yeah, great day. I used to love the Premiership and that, and you know Salford was proud that day. Some real characters in that team, and who became sort of real household names with the supporters and real heroes. So yeah, it was a, it was a terrific time to be a Salford supporter. Yep, me and Paul Parkin from the Devil of Detail spoke to two heroes on that day, Steve Kerry, who won the man of the match, and Martin Burke, and they gave us their memories of the great day. 30 years ago today, we faced Halifax in the Second Division Premiership Cup Final at Old Trafford, and these two individuals who are on the podcast today played big roles in, in that. We're joined by Martin Burkett. Right, Martin Burkett. Looking forward to talking all things at Salford and talking about what happened on that day. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Really enjoy talking about it. We're also joined by the star, the star of the, the show, Steve Kerry. Looking forward to talk, talking about the match, Steve. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on, really. I think I'm making my debut, uh, which at 55 is pretty good. So, yeah, looking looking forward to uh, talking and uh, and uh, Martin's side of the game. That'll be interesting because I, I can't remember him playing, to be honest with you. I can't remember. <laughs> Joke, joke. <laughs> you want to come back on that, Martin? Or are you going to let him let him say that to you? <laughs> well, no, we'll, we'll it, it, the uh, we'll wait until later in the conversation, and yeah. we'll talk about how many goals Steve Kerry kicked <laughs> and how many Halifax players he kicked. Yeah. And I actually think he probably kicked more Halifax players <laughs> yeah. to cause a fight than yeah. he did goals. But we'll look. Every dog has his day. Sort the build up to it, Steve. What, what were the nerves like? Obviously, we had, we had a great season, haven't we, earlier on, we, finishing in the, uh, the finalists of the Lancashire Cup, second division champions, quarterfinal of the Challenge Cup. What what did you sort of feel at that time? Um, well, obviously, it was, you know, getting towards the end of the season, we'd, we'd, we'd caught up on a few games. We had to play Workington in the replay up there, which was midweek. And it, it was a good build-up in a way, though, in, in, in a way, because we were, obviously, it's a neutral ground, Old Trafford, but we, we were we were... You know, literally down the road. Although I live in Preston and we live miles away, but it's a local. It was a local club, and and the build-up was great for me. In that we, we, I went to Old Trafford for the first time on the Saturday morning, and we just looked around the place. And whoever got us in there, because Halifax didn't do that, was 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 a great idea. It just got us used to 
you know, used to the surroundings and this, you know, fantastic theatre of dreams. You know, that that that, that started the, the the little trail really leading up to the game on the Sunday, and and the, and the build up in in general just was was superb. You know, we we had we had all, all the tries we'd scored on a coach from Lancashire Cricket Club to Old Trafford. The coach weeding its way through through the to the fans, and they were all on the video, and it was set to Ness and Dorma. Well, I was ready for it within like ten seconds. You, you know, we were so hyped up when we get on the field, and that might have led to what Martin was uh, referring to in the opening <laughs> statement. We might come back to that. That season, they had a very good season. You know, they had some big name players. Uh, they had some players who could do a lot of damage to us. But at the end of the day, um, we, it, yeah, so it was KG and, yeah, it, I, I don't know if it would have mattered because if they scored, I think we'd still come back, which we proved later on in the game. Yeah. But it, it's obviously easier, it's obviously better to go forward and score first. But it was a great try, by the way, Steve. Thanks. Thanks. Lovely we, swerve, Steve, in and out when you just got that ball off Gibbo and well, full back and no chance. I reckon in 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 uh, in my career that's the fastest I've run. Uh, I remember the thought when when I, when I got the ball off off, off uh, Texan Gibbo, I was running down the wing and uh, John Gilfillan was in uh, just inside me and there was just the the fullback to beat and I thought I could pass it but it be it it was quite a long pass you know you, you get these things in a split second and I thought no just go for it and I, and I did a bit of a sidestep and then a th- thought process I even. This, this sounds pathetic, but Chariots of Fire came into my mind for a split second. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just, I just turned on it. And I, just, I think that's the fastest I've run, without a doubt. I just ran for fear of not scoring, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, uh, it, was, it was good, fortunately. Yeah. So, obviously, Salford hit back again. Great try from Tex Evans. Big kick, loose ball. Steve, you picked the ball up. Um, no, I won't give it to Andy Burgess. Oh, I yeah. don't even need the video. <laughs> you give it to Andy Burgess and Andy Burgess give it to me and I popped my old mate Tex over yeah. uh, which I'd done numerous times mm-hmm. that season and, and numerous times again afterwards you know what I mean uh, I just I, I, yeah yeah look it was it was it was a it was a great moment to see it was just a great moment the way it happened it unfolded because it was almost a bit of a fluke try but go Going back to the conversation we had before, the fluke, the fluke tries come out of the hard work that's been mm-hmm. grafted beforehand. I, I still talk to uh, people now about, you know, to you can you have to earn the right to go wide. The the way you do that is to bash it up the middle. You know what I mean, and to stop that, and to gain momentum and gain respect through the middle. And that's what the forwards have done. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So Steve, yeah, Steve got it. Burge me, and I just. Just knew where Tex would be. Tex was always on my shoulder, and you knew where the try line was because he could score tries. I remember, I remember it because I, I, I was on my knees when I gave the pass there. But you, it, you were, it, mate. It was communication. I think it was it was it was Burge, wasn't it, that, that shouted for it behind, and and we'd, we'd, you know, it wasn't a play of the ball. It was just a, it was effectively a, an interception. So uh, you know, just uh, and th- their guy fumbled it. So it was just quickness of our of our thought and our. You know, scorers to uh, to get out wide and bang, we were in scoring. So, like you said, we're, we're in 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 control. Halifax is starting to panic a bit, Martin. And you know, the next try, looping pass, and and we gobble it up and score. Exactly, man. I can always remember I was I was um, house sharing. I nearly said living. I was house sharing with John Gilfer 
Villa uh, <laughs> at the time and Gil scored under the post and I was absolutely elated because at that point yeah. I knew we'd won the game. Yeah. I knew we'd won the game. At, at that point, they were they were falling apart because they were just going sideways. They were panicking and uh, it was a yeah, it was a big long pass. Mick Dean was involved in it because Eddie Adley had gone off, uh, ankle injury, I think. And Mick Dean had come on the wing and that's why Tex had switched from right wing to left wing and it was all a bit of a mess. But as much as a mess we were in, they were in a worse mess. And yeah, so I was delighted when Gil scored in the past. And Martin, obviously, fantastic success. Did you, did you ever did you ever believe you'd still be talking about it 30 years on? Uh, look, I, I am uh, privileged and honoured to have pulled on that jersey. That's, yeah. that's the way right. I felt from the moment I, I joined Salford. Uh, um, and, and it's still the way I feel now. So that was Steve Kerry and Martin Burkett talking all about the the cup final win, uh, Paul. And uh, obviously Salford Red Devils now have moved on a lot um, 30 years on, but we still enjoy watching the boys play. And we'll start, fans will be able to start watching them against Wigan at home on Saturday. Yeah, they certainly will. It's been a long time coming, Robin. It's uh, the last game we actually played in front of a crowd at Salford in 2020 was against Wigan, wasn't it? And an epic comeback in that game. So it's quite ironic that we play... We play Adrian Lamb's Wigan, uh, Wigan side again. So, yeah, looking forward to that. It should be special. should be special on Saturday. And I think it'll be special for coach Richard Marshall as well. I mean, he's not played in front of a crowd yet as, as Salford coach. Has he? So, I think it's quite a bit of a homecoming for him on, on, on Saturday. So, it should be quite an emotional day. I'm sure it will be. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a big game for us. We've got sort of three games, I think, in 11 days now. So, three big games as well. So, this is, uh, this is one Richard Marshall would like to get a result. And I'm sure of that. Yeah, Wigan Warriors are a good side. Salford ex Salford players Jake Bibby and uh, Jackson Hastings will will be in that Wigan side. Obviously, we'll have to keep an eye out on both of them players. They will be dangerous. Yeah, certainly they've got some some classy players. Wigan haven't they? Um, watched quite a bit of their game last week in the, in the Challenge Cup. They were beaten by Hull, and um, I think Hull did a good job on them, to be honest with you, and, and showed the, 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 that Wigan can be beaten. So, um, I, I wouldn't go into that game fearing them, but they have got some quality players. You know, Bevan French is a top player. They've got you know, a decent pack of forwards as well and a lot of pace out wide. I think Don Manfred is back in there now. He's, he's showing a lot of pace and Jackson Hastings can steer him around the pitch as well. So, they, they've got some clever players, haven't they, in a big squad and, and a lot of strength in depth to, to pick from Wigan. They're a talented side, aren't they? So, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a big challenge for Salford on, on Saturday. But I'm sure it's a challenge that, that we're relishing because we've got some ex-Wiganers in our team as well. You know, our captain, Lee Mossop, spent a, a lot of time at, at Wigan, didn't he? And he doesn't need any sort of uh, motivation when we play Wigan. You remember that try scored at Wigan that took us to the, the grand final. So, so yeah, it should be a fantastic game and, and great. it'll be great to see a crowd back in the, the AJ Bell Stadium on Saturday. Yeah, obviously getting knocked out of the cup last week against Castleford. Richard Marshall's men now can focus solely on, on the Super League and that push for the playoffs. Do, do you think Salford can make the playoffs? They've, they've played in patches quite well, but for me, they need to string a few performances together to get there. Do I think they'll make Do I think they will? Um, if I was a betting man, Rob, no, I don't. I don't think I'd be putting money on it, but you don't know. It, it depends. There's still a long way to go in the season. We've only played what, six games, so we're a bit behind the eight ball at the moment. We've got to start winning matches sooner rather than later because don't forget we don't play as many games this season. So, you know, we sort of, I wouldn't say it was a third through the season yet, but we're not far off, are we? So, yeah, we need to start turning the corner soon and, and picking up results. So, we'll go on a percentage um, 
this season, won't it? But to be honest, I'm not really worried about that because I, I think everyone's going to play the matches. I don't think games are going to be getting called off, you know, like they were last season. So yeah, we need to start winning games pretty soon. Really, we've got the players and we've got the talent to do it. And the the, the crowds coming back into the stadiums could could just be the lift that Salford needed. You know, a lot of new players in the team there. Obviously, the new coach as well. They might just need that and uh, you know that bit of extra atmosphere. If you get a result on Saturday, it'll do the confidence the world of good, really, than going into uh, t- tough games as well. But we've got a tough game coming up on, well, as we speak now, we've already played the St. Helens game, but we record this, we don't know the result of it. But we've got a tough game the week after against Warrington, and then I think we play Hulkingston Rovers in the Huddersfield in June. So the fixtures are coming thick and fast, aren't they? We've got Leeds as well. So we need to start winning if we're going to make the playoffs, Robin, get a bit of consistency. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Obviously, crowds back allowed from Monday. Salford facing Wigan on Saturday, Paul. It'll be great, even though there'll be limited numbers in the AJ Bell Stadium. It'll be great to be here, the crowd cheering Salford on. Yeah, it certainly will. And uh, I mean, the plus side of it for us is, I mean, if it is a plus side, we probably don't have that many season ticket holders at Salford at the moment. We'd like to, obviously, we'd like to grow those in the near future. But I think that the good thing is that Everybody who has got a season ticket, I think, should be able to make it, shouldn't they? So uh, that'd be great. And plus some other supporters as well. So we can get everybody in there and, and space them out and everything. And hopefully things will get better over the next few months and, and the crowds can start building. Because it's been a long time since people have, have gone to a match. It's a shame, as we've said before on the podcast, we got to a grand final, come back, played a few home games, was a bit patchy. And then the lockdown hits. We've never really been able to build and our success got to the cup final last season. Obviously, it was all behind closed doors and we couldn't really build on that. So... It's a, it's sort of a fresh start for everybody, really, it's an, and definitely a fresh start for Salford. So, uh, so yeah, I can't wait to see crowds in there. I mean, I've been to a lot of games, the, the closed doors games, reporting, and it's not the same, Rob. It's 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 a bit depressing, really. You know, you're the only sort of couple of people in there, and you can hear you hear yourself talk, you hear the players talk. You want that bit of atmosphere and that extra bit. It's very very sanitised when there's no supporters in there. Supporters are the life and soul of the sport. So, I, I'm really looking forward to, to Saturday. Yeah, I think the club's obviously looking forward to it as well because you can generate some funding and, and some money and, like you said, the atmosphere, the crowd, the roar of the crowd when something exciting happens. That's what sport's all about, Paul. You know, we, we go to games because we want to enjoy the atmosphere and pl- uh, fans being back in the stadium only going to motivate themselves and the players as well because, like you say, they've been playing in front of nobody for the last 12 months. So to have a crowd there, it's only going to up their performance too. Well, yeah, there's certain players at Salford who've probably never played for Salford in front of a crowd. You know, some of the lads from last season have only probably played one or two games where there's actually a crowd there. The lads from this season have never seen a, a crowd there, have they? Or played in front of one. So, uh, you know, the, the likes of uh, you know Danny Addy who's come in this season and uh, some of the other guys there. I'm trying to think of some of the signings now that we've signed for this season. You know, uh, who else have we signed for this season? Danny Livett. Memory's gone a blank. Yeah, Harvey Levet, Matty Costello, and the rest of the lads that have come in this year, uh, Deck Patton, and you know, excuse me, I can't, Elijah I can't remember Taylor. Joe. Elijah Taylor. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they've never played in front of any supporters at Salford in this season, and, and, and same for Richard Marshall. They've never had anybody there, so it must be totally different. They'll come out to a roar of a crowd, and you'll see those those sort of faces that are there every week, and they'll probably recognise some of it, won't they, as, as they go through the season. You get to know who your home fans are and who, who the passionate ones are that hang about outside the stadium when they come out, and that's what it's all about, you know, people waiting for autographs and that, and they, the players have missed all that. They've missed that fan interaction, so, um, you know, when you're a young kid, you want to play in front of crowds, don't you? And, um, 
you know, it must be must be so hard at the moment for, for youngsters coming through into the other sides in the Super League and having to play in front of empty crowds. It's uh, it'd be a massive boost for them when there's people there cheering them on and, and the families are there cheering them on as well. I think it'd be great. Yeah, a player departing the AJ Bell Stadium at the end of the month would be Elliot Kay. He's going to Bradford to play part-time rugby and be a part-time fireman. You know, good luck to him. He's only been at Salford for a small amount of time, but he's been very professional and very good, and we're going to miss him. We certainly are. I like Elliot. He's a real wholehearted player, and, uh, you know, he's been a good player through the years. You know, his time at Bradford and you know, really good try scorer for London as well. He's played a lot of international rugby league for Wales. And um, I remember last season going to Catalan and he played a really good match against Catalan. He was um, up against Israel Falau when he first signed for, for the Dragons. And I thought I thought he had a cracking game over in France last year and uh, really put himself about. Not the biggest guy in the world, but he's had to wait patiently to get his, his chance at Salford. But Richard Marshall's paid a lot of faith in him this season and played him a few times. He played him at fullback and he's never, ever let us down. So I think we're going to miss him. You know, he's... He's not not the biggest guy in the world, but you know what he doesn't have in size. He, he has in a massive heart, real real wholehearted player, and uh, nice, quick, and, and pretty nippy as well, and a decent defender. So, you know, he, he's a member of that squad, and we still don't know the the, the Christian Inu situation, do we? So, I really hope we're not going to start losing players now because our squad isn't isn't massive, is it? So, but wish him all the best. I'm, I'm glad he's got another club, and obviously you've got to look to the future as well. He's got a terrific job there as a, as a fireman serving serving the community as well, so I'm sure Elliot will do a great job for Bradford. Yep. Let's talk about our other rugby league club now, Paul. Swinton Lions, they face Toulouse Olympic uh, on Saturday 22nd of May. Opportunity uh, for fans to get down there and support the, bo- uh, support the boys. You know, Stuart Littler's men, full of passion, full of commitment, <coughs> and the Lions fans will be waiting for a great performance there. I thought they played Toulouse away. Is it not away from home, the Toulouse game? Well, I, th- I don't think they're travelling to to to, to, uh, to France, are they? Oh, is the game going to be played at Swinton, right? I, think I wasn't so. too sure where the match was at, so apologies if it's not, because I've got it as the away fixture. But yeah, that would be a really tough game for, for Swinton. I know Toulouse last weekend um, had a great win at Whitehaven, didn't they? Absolutely tank Whitehaven, 66-0, I think that was. And they look like the team to watch, don't they? We were all talking about Featherstone Rovers at the start of the season, and maybe Widness and London Broncos. Widness have been a a real sort of disappointment so far, haven't they? They've struggled. So uh, I think Toulouse have, have taken that mantle on them and Featherstone Rovers are the two teams to watch. But Toulouse have, have, have been the team at the moment. They're the one who's scoring the tries and scoring the points and playing the flamboyant, expansive rugby, aren't they? So that's going to be a massive game for Swinton. Swinton are struggling themselves at the moment to sort of piece it together. But no, with the return of crowds at Haywood Road and, and, and their sort of vocal support they get behind them, it, that, that it should be a test. They should make that ground a, a cauldron atmosphere down there. I think with crowds going there, it'll be a totally different different matter. But Toulouse are a, are a formidable force. They're going to definitely have to be on their game for that, uh, that match and have their defence really, really watertight because Toulouse can score points. Yeah, it will take place Haywood Road on the 22nd of May at 3 o'clock kickoff. So good luck, good luck to both our sides uh, this week. That's all our Rugby League chat on the show. And now we're going to talk boxing with James and Paul. Yeah, there's only one place to kick it off with the boxing this week, Paul, and that is the monstrous clash to unify all four belts in the super lightweight division between Jose Ramirez of Mexico and Josh Taylor of Scotland. It's going to be an unbelievable collision. Ramirez will have the home support, but for me, Josh Taylor might just be a little bit too talented in this one. Yeah, we know what a terrific, uh, a terrific boxer Josh Taylor is and has been over the last couple of years, don't we, James? And as you were saying there, I think this is going to be a massive test for him. But 
we, we know what a talented fighter he is and, and it just makes it more special when they, they go in for those, those titles, when there's belts on the line. I mean, boxing's great and you can have great matchups, but when there's, there's belts on the line, I think it just adds that little bit more spice, doesn't it? And that more, you can see the belts before the, 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 the bout starts and it's just, that's the prize on offer for, for the winner. So uh, I think this one's going to be a terrific contest and, and, uh, and yeah, and I fancy Taylor to do the business. He's, he's beaten everybody put in front of him so far and, you know, won quite handsomely in quite a lot of his fights as well and, and showed some real talent. So this is a big test for him, though, on, on the weekend coming. In the final of the World Boxing Super Series, Josh Taylor made it past a very tough Regis Progray. Many consider him to be the second best in the world, maybe even better than Jose Ramirez. Would you agree with that sentiment or do you think the Mexican this weekend will be a tougher challenge? I think Progray is a, a, a terrific fighter and that was a terrific matchup as well. The majority decision wasn't it on the night and you know, since then he's put in some tremendous performances. And I mean, you go back a few years for his, his victory over Terry Flanagan. I, I thought that was a you know a, a great display um, to to beat one of our British fighters. So he, he's no mug whatsoever. When he lost one one fight. So yeah, I think he, he's right up there, definitely. Ramirez, he's unbeaten. You know, it, we think he's got an unbeaten fight there. So it's difficult that one. He's had some terrific wins as well, particularly his ones against Morris Hooker. So this is going to be a massive test. It really is. I think. They say, don't they, on the telly now, someone's always got to go. So, uh, you know, uh, I think we'll see at the weekend who's it's going to be. And I think then you can start sort of judging people a bit more and ranking them in order at the moment. You'd have to say Ramirez is up there, definitely. But if he loses that fight, then you might drop him down the pecking order a little bit. But it's a mouth-watering contest. And as I said, we say someone's always got to go. It could be a draw, couldn't it, I suppose. But um, no, I think there'll definitely be a result in this one. And I think, I think Taylor could be the man to do it. I'm not saying that Taylor isn't the favourite in this one, but do you think people are writing Ramirez off a little bit quickly? I mean, he's a unified champion himself. He's beaten the likes of Maurice Hockett, and everyone seems to think it's a foregone conclusion that Josh Taylor's just going to blow past him. No, I don't think he'll, he'll blow past him whatsoever. I think it'll be a very, very tough fight. Ramirez is a, is a very tough fighter. He's from a, a, a tough tough side of the world in America, isn't he? You know, the, the gyms that they're fighting over there, there's, there's no mugs over there whatsoever. He's got a really good record and, and fought some really, really durable fighters. You know, we've mentioned Hooker there. We've mentioned Victor Postel, who, who fought, I think, um, earlier on. Uh, sorry, sorry, late summer last year, I think it was, wasn't it? That fight. It's been a while now, so he's been out of action for for, for a few months. But he'll be he'll be ready for this fight. There's no doubt about that, and he won't have underestimated uh, underestimated his opponent, Josh Taylor. So. I think you write him off at your peril. I think this is going to be a terrific fight. There's not going to be much in this. There's not going to be much in this at all. I can't see Taylor coming in and wiping the floor with him. I think they'll go toe-to-toe, these two men. And I think you'll be going to the judges' scorecards. I don't think anybody will, will get the knockout in this one or the stoppage. I think this will be a technical fight. And, and whoever does the does the business will get the, the, the decision on the night. If Josh Taylor does emerge victorious, does that make him the number one pound-for-pound fighter in Britain? I think you'd probably have to say that because he'd have all the belts. Um, and if you've got all the belts, yeah, and, and looking back on his, his record as well and who he's fought up to now, you'd probably say that. I'd, I'd say so, yeah, because uh, this, yeah, to hold all, all the belts, I'd say you'd be pound for pound the best. I couldn't think of anybody up there who's, who's, who's better at the moment. So, yeah, I think I'd go with that. It's a big call, but if you hold the belts and you've done the business, you know, particularly away from home as well, you deserve the plaudits. So, yeah, why not? Now, moving on to a fight that happened this Saturday just gone in Cologne, Germany. A very bizarre one here, Paul. Manuel Shaw versus Christopher Lovejoy. The WBA recess championship of the world. 
Emmanuel Shaw held the WBA regular belt, but due to Don King getting involved, he, that belt was taken off him and given to his fighter, Trevor Brown. So Emmanuel Shaw never really lost his belt in the ring. However, you know, whatever validity you give that belt is up to you. But Christopher Lovejoy came into this fight 19-0 and with 19 KOs. Many British fans remember he was actually scheduled to fight Dave Allen. And then the fight was pulled a couple of days before, and that was just prior to uh, Dave Allen's retirement. But Lovejoy was blown out inside two rounds by Manuel Shaw. And I think that just puts in perspective just how much you can pad your record in boxing. Because 19 and 0, 19 knockouts, he certainly didn't look like a man of that calibre in the ring. Well, no, I thought it was a strange one, that. He, he came in there and he didn't look like that man at all. He looked like a, a complete imposter because he was absolutely blown out of the water there by, uh, by Manuel Shaw, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, like you said, the guys had 19 victories, 19 knockouts, and... And just look to look to leave behind him. So, uh, so yeah, a very very sort of strange fight. And yeah, it, it does it does really tarnish your record that one. But yeah, it was a strange uh, strange outcome that for me. Where does Manuel Shaw stand in the heavyweight picture? Obviously, he's still got a claim to the throne with this WBA belt. But is he anywhere near the likes of the big boys? Is he even a top twenty heavyweight? <sighs> I wouldn't say so. I mean. He fought, he fought Povetkin, didn't he, a, a while ago? I think looking back on his record, and there's nobody else on that record there that really stands out for me. So I, I think he'd be difficult there. Maybe top 20, yeah, top 20, possibly. Top 10, do I think? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say top 10, to be honest with you. I think there's some there's some people on there who give him a, you know, a real tough night's work. So, uh, But you, you can only put beat who's in front of you, you know, and he's, he's, he's got that victory now, and that's up to him to kick on from that now. And if he can get fights and, and test himself, good luck to him. But at the moment, I wouldn't have him up there in the, the top 10. But you're um, you're only sort of one fight away from, from greatness sometimes, aren't you? So uh, you've got to give him the respect. He's, he's done the, the job now and just see where his career takes him now. I think he's about 35, 36 years of age. So could be coming into the prime of his career now. And, you know, it only takes one fight sometimes to get an upset, doesn't it? So if he can get lined up with someone and be in the right place at the right time, then he could possibly get into the top 10. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see where Shah goes from here. Moving on to the British fights. Joshua Boatsy took on Daniel Blanda dos Santos. Again, similar to Lovejoy, an undefeated record, but seemingly nobody on that record. It seems a bit of a mismatch on the night. Yeah, it did, and uh, we've seen we've seen a few of them, haven't we, over the over the last few months on uh, on Sky Sports, a few a few mismatches and fights where you know perhaps they, they they need a bigger test now. And I think I think Buatsi does need that bigger test now. You know, he's had some some good knockout victories. I'm not not dissing him at all. He's had some tremendous knockout victories so far in his career, and you know, 12 out of 14, I think he is now. So perhaps it is about time he he started stepping up a, a level a bit now. I think. He's better than the level that he's fighting at, I think. And I think it's about time he just moved up to that little step more now. And, um, you know, he's on the cusp of something special now. You can you can see that um, with, the, with the way he fought at the weekend. So, yeah, he's not far off now, I don't think, from, from challenging for, for world honours. Most certainly. In a fight on the undercard, which I think warmed the hearts of many people, Jason Cunningham becoming a European champion against Galal Gafai. Yeah, yeah, Cunningham's been uh, been a good fighter over the years, hasn't he? And, you know, so so's your fight. Two uh, two really solid fighters there, and uh, no, it was it was a it was a nice fight that to uh, for him to to win. It wasn't when I was expecting him to win, really. So uh, no, it was uh, it was a good one to see that. Now I'm going to go back a week uh, to the Billy Joe Saunders Canelo Alvarez fight and all the controversy over whether Billy Joe Saunders quit or not. 
Well, IFL, who are managed by MTK Global, the YouTube platform, releasing several videos about how, you know, Billy Joe Saunders was desperate to carry on. And his trainer, Mark Tibbs, has come out and seemingly said the opposite, implying that BJS quit. He didn't want to see the next round. Do you think it's dodgy when, you know, broadcasters maybe try and change the narrative so they look more favourably upon their fighters? Yeah, I think so. I think it's quite strange that his trainers come out and said that. I mean, if your trainer sort of says that about you, I mean, what sort of relationship have you got with your trainer? What sort of trust is there? So you think you, your trainer wouldn't go out and, and sort of tell a lie about you. So I'd probably go along with what Mark Tibbs has said there. And if that's what he has said, it, it does seem it does seem strange. It looks a real nasty injury, but you wouldn't expect Billy Joe Saunders to, to sort of quit unless he was in real, real pain and in real, real trouble. So... It does seem a bit of a strange story that I mean I don't know if there's going to be a rematch between those two I don't know whether that was signed between Al- Alvarez and, and, um, and Billy Joe Saunders but I wasn't expecting him to, to, to quit anyway I don't I didn't think he had that in him but no it, it just seems a, a, another strange sort of set of affairs there doesn't it especially with Mark Tibbs saying that. Now, moving on to the heavyweight division, Deontay Wilder has been releasing some training footage. He seems to have teamed up with former heavyweight contender Malik Scott. He's working on inside fight and a couple of other things. Do you think Malik Scott will be a good fit for Deontay Wilder? Yeah, I don't see why not. I think that's the the test he needs now, Deontay Wilder. We know he's a talented boxer and just seems to have dropped out of the limelight, doesn't he, over the last few months? And yeah, if he can get him working on some inside fighting, and uh, you know, he, he might need to, to to add that to his game, if, particularly if he's going to start challenging again. You know, maybe fighting Tyson Fury again. We know he can box at range and he can throw those huge bombs, don't we? But if he can just add a, a few more strings to his bow, Deontay Wilder can be a very very dangerous fighter, particularly in the in the in the world level, in the world top ten. No doubt about that. He carries an awful lot of power. He's got that knockout power to, to become a world champion, all those belts again. And he's a big player in the market as well. He sells an awful lot of tickets. He's very charismatic. And uh, we know from his press conferences and his previous fights, he's an exciting guy to watch, isn't he? So, uh, so yeah, I'd like to see him back in the limelight. I think he's a big player at that level. And, uh, no, I think that'll do in the world of good. And he'll have his eyes firmly set on the winner of Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. And a concern I have about this fight at the moment, Paul, if we look at Tyson Fury's videos that he's releasing on social media, he seems to be swanning around Las Vegas. And the clips we are seeing of him training, he still looks a little bit out of shape. Is he in the right environment to train for the biggest fight of his life? Um, I suppose it depends on your character, doesn't it? If it was me... And I was training for a big fight like that. I'd, I'd be locking myself away somewhere. I think I'd be going somewhere as quiet as possible, you know, in the woods somewhere, say in the middle of, I don't know, Norway or somewhere like that. Somewhere where it was nice and quiet. I couldn't have any sort of distractions and I just want to get my head down and do my training and, and eat, sleep and live boxing just to get my head right. But everybody's different, aren't they? So I don't know. Tyson Fury, to me, though, strikes me as that sort of person that would get distracted quite easily. No disrespect to him, but and has been distracted before and, and had problems out of the ring before. So you'd think that him and his team would want him to be away from the razzmatazz of, 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 of somewhere like that and, and just live a simple life and just, like I said, eat, eat and sleep boxing because you've got to get yourself into that sort of shape. If you're going to challenge somebody like Anthony Joshua, you, you're going to have to be absolutely nailed on, aren't you? I mean, I know Andy Ruiz looked a bit out of shape when he beat him, but he obviously had a game plan. When he came back in, he didn't beat him at all. Did Anthony Joshua adjusted, and I think Joshua needed that that sort of wake-up call. I don't think he'd ever make that mistake against anybody again, and particularly not um, Tyson Fury. So if Tyson's going to have a chance 
beating Joshua. He's got to have the best training camp he's ever had. He's going to have to get himself into tremendous shape. And even then, he's going to have his workout to beat somebody as good as Joshua. So, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting how this plays out and, you know, when are they going to get this 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 fight signed up? We seem to to speak about this every week. I speak to it about my mate every Saturday morning. We we have a laugh about it and say, when are they going to sort this this fight out? Oh, it's going to be next week. It's going to be next week. It never seems to happen, does it? So uh, let's hope it gets sorted out soon before it sort of whistles away in the wind. Stepping down a tier or two, Daniel Dubois still has very many heavyweight hopes ahead of him. He's teaming up with Shane McGuigan. Again, probably looking like a good fit for the youngster. Yeah, definitely. I've got a lot of time for for Shane McGuigan. I think he's a he's a very level-headed trainer as well, and he, he's done some good things in the last few years. So I, I'm I'm sure he'll be a nice fit for uh, for Dubois. And we know um, he's got an awful lot of talent, and he's one of those. I think he just needs to to go the right way now, and the big fights will come for him. But yeah, he's got a good trainer there in, in McGuigan who will do a good job with him. He, he's another guy that just sort of keeps his head down and uh, knows the sport as well. You know, his dad was a terrific fighter, and uh, he'll have picked an awful lot of stuff up from him as well. So that that could be just the just the sort of fit that Dubai needs. Sky Sports box office have announced that they'll be broadcasting the Mayweather. Logan Paul fight. Eddie Hearn has released in an interview said that he has absolutely nothing to do with this one. Is this another nail in the coffin with Eddie Hearn's relationship with Sky Sports? He seems that way, doesn't it? Because, you know, over the last, I don't know how many years now, Eddie Hearn has, has, has sort of ruled the roost with Sky, hasn't it? It's all come through him, all the box office fights, and Matt Dream seems to have the, a big say in that. So, you know, I think this is probably the first, I can't remember the last time I saw a fight night on Sky that didn't, I've had you involved. I don't think there has been one for for, for a number of years. So, uh, so yeah, it, it, it could be. It could be. It'd be very very interesting to see where where Eddie Hearn and his matchroom sort of empire goes. What what channel they would go to because they they have a lot of the fighters, don't you? You go on their books and just see who they've got fighting for them, and they're, they're the big names, aren't they? The big names that people want to see. Regarding the Logan Paul and, and, and Mayweather fight. I don't, I don't know whether Eddie Hearn's into that, whether he thinks he's a bit of a circus. Some people do, don't they? I mean, I've been a bit sat on the fence over it, but you've sort of spoke to me about it over the last few weeks and last few months we've we spoke about these these mega fights and I don't know, I'm quite intrigued now to see what happens, and especially after the, we can call it cap gate, can't we, a few weeks ago with him pinching his baseball. <laughs> it does seem to add a bit of fuel to the fire, so uh, be interesting to see how that goes. But just going back to your point there, yeah, I think relationships may be strained with Eddie Hearn and Sky. Seems a real shame because will Sky Sports be the same sort of platform without Eddie Hearn? I mean, what what is the future of Sky Sports boxing without him? What what are they going to be broadcasting? Well, exactly. That's what I just said there about the about his stable of fighters. You look at who he's got on his books, Eddie Hearn. You're talking about the the, the top fighters in this country, aren't they? Not matter what weight you're talking about. You you're looking at your heavyweights, your your super middleweights, your middleweights. There are you know most of the big name fighters now are, are fighting for. Um, for Eddie Hearn, aren't they? And if you're not fighting for Eddie Hearn or Eddie Hearn's matchroom fighters, you'll be fighting against them, won't you? So, you know, he's going to have he's going to have a big say in that. So wherever he, he goes to, they're going to be getting the, the big fights. I mean, I know we, we get other fights on sort of Channel 5 and, and things like that and, and some good fights on there as well. We've had some decent contests on there, but they're not the same sort of level as what you've been getting on Sky Sports over the last decade or so. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens on that and where, where he does go. So would it be somewhere like BT Sport? or We're getting an awful lot of boxing on, on, on this, this dancing channel at the moment as well, aren't we? So, uh, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see how the broadcasting rights go. One of Eddie Hearn's fighters, Alexander Usyk, very much has the heavyweight championship of the world in his forward vision. 
He's bulked up now to 231 pounds. He's trying to become a true heavyweight. Do you think the weight will reflect well on him? Yeah, me and my friend were chatting about this the other day in the gym, and we were saying how, how to try and, you know, how, how people try and build up, you know, and go up the weights and, and what have you. And it, it must be difficult because he's, he's he's jumping up quite a way there. So what he don't want to do is put sort of a, if you, you're bulking up, sometimes you're looking at putting a bit of, of weight on it. You can't. It's got to be good weight, hasn't it? You can't put fat on. You've got to be putting good weight on, and, and you want that weight to to keep you mobile as well. What you don't want is it to end up being a lot bigger. And then you're not as mobile, you're not as agile, and you turn into a bit of a big stump, don't you? So he'll be open to to, to subtly put that weight on. I would have thought, and on parts of his body where he can still move and and be as quick and as agile and as sharp as as what he was before he went up to the heavyweight scene. So it'll be very interesting that. But he's got a, he's got a big frame, I think, Uzik. Anyway, he's always looked a, a big man for me, and you know, very, very fit guy as well. I think he'll be a monster at the weight, and I think he'll be a terrific fighter, and, and I think he'll bring a lot to the heavyweight scene. And he'll be another one that's challenging. It's it's another name to have there in the in the in the top rank and in the, in the top ten. So uh, yeah, and he's another entertaining guy. So I'll be looking forward to seeing who he fights next because I think he'd be a challenge for anybody. One of Alexander Usyk's victims, Tony Bellew, has just released a book. It came out on Friday called Everybody's Got a Plan Until They Get Punched in the Face. 12 Things That Boxing Can Teach You About Life. He certainly lived an interesting one, hasn't he, Tony Bellew? And he'll most certainly have learnt a lot from his career. Do you think he'll have some words of wisdom for people to read about in this new book? Yeah, definitely. I, I like Tony Bellew. I mean, he's not everybody's cup of tea, but I think he's... One thing you can't say about him is he, he, he sort of tells tells porkies and that he's very straight straight laced. He'll, he'll, he'll call a spade a spade and he's very good on the television. He's very to the point and he knows his stuff. He knows his boxing and you know he's come from a part of, of the country in Liverpool where where boxing is a massive sport and he, he knows a lot of people on that side of, of, of the city and and yeah I, I think he's a good guy and in his book yeah he's dead right with the title of his book everything. You know, does change once you get it in the face. It's a big shock to you as well, and uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be things in that book that he'll be able to tell you. And I'm looking forward to reading it. Actually, I think it'd be a terrific read. That he did a fantastic career, and I think he'll be the first to admit he probably wasn't the most talented boxer in the world. But what he lacked in talent, he had in spades of heart. And I mean, you know, we've seen him lose a world title fights and then come back and, and win a world title, which I think was something he always wanted to do. And um, I think he's, he's, he's had a great career and uh, you know been in some terrifically entertaining fights as well, been very entertaining outside the ring at his, his weigh-ins and his press conferences. He's a real character, real character. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that. I'm sure there'll be some good stories in there. Last one of the day for you, Paul. One of Britain's most underappreciated fighters, maybe of the last decade or so, Jamie McDonald, a two-time world champion, has finally hung up the gloves. And is it a case of we won't know what we had until we lose him type thing with Jamie McDonnell? Yeah, that came as a surprise to me when I uh, when I saw the news on that. And he's been in some, some fantastic fights, hasn't he? And I don't know, sometimes in boxing, you don't always get the opportunity, do you, to, to showcase your skills. You're not in the big fights on, on the television sometimes. And I, I don't know, he, he seems to have gone on the, under the radar in his... Uh, in his career, you know, as is his brother as well, Gavin McDonnell. So, so yeah, he's been a he's been a real tough, tough British fighter, and been some big fights as well, and 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 been and been tested, you know, been tested throughout the throughout the world, and, and never really ducked anybody. But yeah, I think him and his brother have never really had the the adulation that other people have had, and yeah, I think that's a, that's a shame that to see him coming to the, the end of his career. I can't remember when he last boxed now. 
I've not seen him on the telly for, for a long time, but somebody who, who always entertained me when I've seen him. Now, chucking it back over to Rob, and we're going to be talking UFC. Yeah, before we start talking UFC, just to, to remind our listeners, if you want to speak, you want to listen to the Steve Kerry Martin Burke interview, you can listen to it in full on the Devil in Detail podcast. And also, breaking news, that Team GB uh, are travelling to the World Championships in Latvia uh, today. Uh, Manchester Storms, Dallas Earhart, Ben Lake, Ben Davis and Kieran Longer on the plane. So good luck to them and we'll be reporting on that in the next uh, few weeks. James, and what we'll do now, we'll talk UFC. And uh, UFC 262 took place on Saturday night with an amazing main event. It most certainly did. Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler met for the vacant lightweight championship of the world. It was an intriguing contest going in. Oliveira having the grappling advantage in terms of the jiu-jitsu. Michael Chandler, a far superior wrestler. And there was a very different dynamic between the pair. Charles Oliveira is somebody who's been in the UFC for a very long time. 11 years. He's had multiple losses. I think in his first 10 or so fights, he'd lost about five of them. He didn't go on the greatest of runs, it's fair to say. But he's clawed his way back to a world title shot. He put eight wins in a row together and he earned his shot. As for Michael Chandler, he spent his whole career outside the UFC. He was a three-time Bellator champion of the world. He crosses over to the UFC. Debuts less than a year ago and it gets an explosive first round knockout and then bang, he's right in for a world title shot. I felt it was deserved because he'd done so much outside the promotion. And sometimes these champions from organizations, you know, sometimes they're not as good as the UFC champions, but Michael Chandler for me has always been good enough. He was always good enough to win a world title in the UFC. It was nice to see him finally get his shot. The fight started up very interesting. The Michael Chandler seemed to be getting the better of it. And then Charles Oliveira dominated the ground transitions. Michael Chandler managed to rise back on his feet, dropped Oliveira, very nearly had the fight stopped. And Oliveira has been somebody who over the years, you know, bluntly has lacked heart. He's quitting fights. He's told the referee that he doesn't want any more. He's turned his back on opponents. He's, he's always been lacking in that department, but he certainly wasn't lacking on Saturday night because he overcame the adversity. And all the momentum that Chandler seemingly had built up in the first round was absolutely destroyed seconds into the second when Oliveira knocked him out. And that came as a surprise to everybody, but he's a worthy world champion and he could well be one for a long time to come because he seems to only be getting better. How deserving is a new world champion of being considered the best in the world? It's very difficult. In that fight with Michael Chandler, he proved that he can overcome adversity. He showed that he's got knockout power. He showed a great deal about himself. However, Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor are going to be fighting in their trilogy matchup. And many people would have said that they're the best two lightweights in the world. So I think the winner of that fight has to take an Oliveira. And he wants to truly be considered the best by all fans. He needs to beat whoever wins that. Where does Saturday night's loser go from here, James? It's difficult for Michael Chandler. He's achieved so much already, as, as I priorly said, a three-time Bellator champion. And he very nearly put the icing on the cake, didn't he? He very nearly won the UFC world title, and that would have meant everything to him. Throughout his entire reign as the Bellator world champion, people would say, yeah, but you're not doing it in the UFC. And he came over, and he came so close to doing it. He was he was genuinely a punch away from getting a knockout. He just couldn't quite get it done. You know, you'd like to say off the back of that, maybe you could do a rematch and he won't be too far off getting another shot. But he is 38 years old now, Rob, and father time catches up with everybody. So who knows how long Chandler's got left. I'd still like to see him get another shot. In the co-main event, one of UFC's most popular fighters was handed his third loss in a row. Tell us about that, James. 
Yeah, very strange. Tony Ferguson went on a 13-fight on beaten streak, and many people thought he was the kryptonite to Khabib Nurmagomedov. And then last year, it finally seemed as if that fight was going to happen between the two. You know, the eagle and the phenom Tony Ferguson, they were finally going to meet in the octagon. I mean, it had been scheduled four times and been cancelled. So when it was made for a fifth time, it seemed it has to happen this time. Surely nothing can go wrong again. And then we were hit by a global pandemic. The fight fell off. Justin Gaethje steps in late notice to fight Ferguson for an interim world title and blew Ferguson out the water and completely tore the script apart. Ferguson then fought Charles Oliveira, who, of course, now has become world champion and lost on a points decision. And then last night against Benil Dariush, who is ranked eighth in the world, so a good fighter. But if Tony Ferguson wants to be the best, I have to be honest, I think his window's passed. You can't be losing to the eighth best in the world and then hope to get another world title shot. He's going to fall way down the rankings now. And again, like Chandler... He's 38, 39 years old and maybe five times catching up. But unlike Chandler, he really does seem to have nothing left in the tank because he wasn't competitive for a single second. But I will say, well done for the heart he showed. He was put in a submission. And, you know, most people on planet Earth would have tapped out. He held strong, and that's why so many fans love him. But in terms of becoming world champion, I've got to be honest, I think it's over for him. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see with, with that, James. And that's all the UFC chat. And let's talk football now in the FA Cup final, James. Leicester beat Chelsea 1-0. What a fantastic game. Romance the FA Cup alive and well. Very much so. Leicester, the magic of the FA Cup, proved once again, didn't it? I think Chelsea were the favourites going into this one, but Leicester tore up the script. Tielemann scored an absolute wonder strike, didn't he? And I was flabbergasted by that goal, as I'm sure you were as well, Rob. Oh, what a goal from Tielemans. Uh, what a fantastic strike, Paul Whiteside. Great shot. Goalie beating all ends up. And what, what the what the beautiful thing was, the crowd reaction. We, we've no, had no crowds in grounds for nearly, well, over 12 months now, Paul. And then the ball at the back of the net. net you know, the ultimate roar from everybody. You know, what, what a fantastic moment. Yeah, that's what sport's been lacking, hasn't it? I know, particularly in rugby league, when you watch it on the telly, that you can always hear... A bit of crowd noise, whether it's like canned canned crowd, as they call it, canned laughter or whatever. They've not really had that in football. And I think it's great to, to sort of hear the roar of, of a crowd when it's, when, it's, when it's particularly genuine. And for a tremendous goal like that as well in an FA Cup final at Wembley Stadium, you know, people dream about that, don't they? And uh, no, credit to, to Leicester City as well, you know, a, a club who've, um, I don't know when the last time they won the FA Cup, to be honest with you. I don't think they've been in the final for a long time. I think they played City in the late 60s, 69 final, was it? I don't know if they've been there since to an FA Cup final. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but no, it's great to see them win the trophy. I know it's fantastic when they won the Premier League a few years ago. Great story. They seem to be a, a well-run club, don't they? With a with a really decent decent owner as well. And I was pleased for the the manager. The manager seems a good guy as well. So uh, Brendan Rodgers, who was at Liverpool, so I think they deserved it. And uh, that that kit they wore, I, th- I thought that was a nice nice shirt. What Leicester City had at the weekend as well. So uh, so yeah, I'm glad they beat Chelsea. It was a good result for them. Yeah, Chelsea had a, a goal dis- disallowed uh, from the VAR, James. Crucial moment in the game. You know, emotion on both sides. Chelsea thought they equalised. They look at the, the video referee and decide that, I think it was Chilwell was, was offside. Heartbreak for Chelsea. Elation for, for, for Leicester. And I suppose in a strange way, it's what the FA Cup's all about. It's emotion. It swings and roundabouts. And even though we do moan about the VAR, it, it caused a, a great moment there. 
Well, it did, didn't it? I mean, Chelsea absolutely thrilled. They think they've equalised and then in a second it's all taken away from them. And I suppose in a way that is the magic of the FA Cup. You never know what's going to happen. It's a thrill a minute. One minute they've equalised, the next they haven't and it's all over the place. And, you know, I suppose that's excitement in abundance. Something I want to talk to you about, Rob, is that for many years we had the top four, the big four. We had, you know, United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool... And then as years went on, it expanded to the big six. Manchester City and Tottenham joined as well. Surely Leicester have to be in that mix now. Maybe Arsenal-Tottenham should drop out because Leicester are Premier League winners, FA Cup winners. Why don't we give them the respect they deserve? It's a good question, James. It is a good question because obviously, you know, Leicester have some good players, don't they? You know, Vardy up top, Schmeichel in the goal. And, and they know how to play as well. That, that's the, the important thing. And like you said, they won the Premier League five years ago, won an FA Cup on Saturday. They should be really kind of seen as a top four, top, top five club. But the size and the name, is that big enough for the people who run the football and, and the circus that surrounds it? Will Leicester City drag in people to watch on the TV? Will they sell tickets? That's the big question. And for me, James, I don't think they will. And that's why they don't like putting Leicester in the same bracket as Manchester United and Man City and Chelsea and Liverpool and Arsenal. But yeah, on form, James, they should be in. It kind of shows where football is, really. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I suppose in, in all sports, it's who cares? Who puts bums on seats? Who's interested? And if Leicester City aren't quite, you know, getting the fan respect that, you know, these other teams are, then maybe they don't deserve to be in that bracket. But other people would argue that in terms of how they're playing, they more than deserve it. And something I want to ask you about, Rob, is that United give so much stick to the Glazers for being, you know, simply uninterested in the football club. Many people say if there was, a, you know, a Champions League final going on, they wouldn't know about it. The Leicester City chairman seems absolutely thrilled that the club had done so much. And is it nice to see a chairman who seems to genuinely care? Oh, it was a beautiful moment. Came on the pitch, hugging all the players and hugging the management. He he has funded this dream and his family has funded this dream. And obviously the previous um, sort of owner uh, sort of passed away in a, in a tragic accident. And it, and it kind of kind of gives thanks to him and what he achieved as well. And all the fans are there sort of celebrating that. Uh, and I think it meant more to fans like Leicester because they're not used to winning championships and winning FA Cups and and I don't think like Paul said they, they'd ever won an FA Cup before so every fan it meant so much to him Paul and, and and I think that's what kind of David and Goliath in it you know these small teams every dog has its day and, and it was Leicester's day on Saturday yeah it certainly was not it and I think that that's that's nice sometimes in sport when you do get new names in the trophy and I mean I was doing a bit of reading up on, on rugby league the other day about as I do you know, just reading about sides that have won sort of championships in the last 40 years and the list isn't very long really and I think I, I did a little bit of digging in football as well and I think it's a similar sort of number in football there's not that many sides who've actually won a won a championship and I think the FA Cup is probably the trophy where there's a few more names on, on, on the trophy you know rather than the sort of the cartel of the usual big sides so so yeah and I think I think that's good I think that's what makes the FA Cup special and what's made it special over the years the, the giant killings and the, and the shocks and things like that. I'm not saying being disrespectful saying that was a shock for Leicester to win it but it's, it's nice to have a different name on the trophy and you know it's good for their supporters and you know we were very passionate as well in that part of the country and as I said before the owner seems a decent guy and it's a good news story you don't want the same sides winning trophies all the time you know Manchester United and, and 
and sort of City fans might disagree with me on that and say they want to be winning all the trophies. But I think as a, as a neutral, I mean, I do sort of lean towards City, or I used to do when they were rubbish. But um, like now, I do like to see you know you know the, the underdogs uh, winning thing. I think we all we all doing a bit of a way, don't we? So uh, so yeah, particularly pleased for Leicester and their fans and the manager and the owner as well. I thought it was a great win for them. Yeah, it was fantastic, and that proves like the FA Cup is alive and well. A lot of fans worry that, obviously, with the European Cup and the Premier League kind of starting to overshadow the FA Cup, moments like Saturday puts a big fire in it and in its belly, and all those fans who, who tune in and watch it. For me, I feel like they need to make a whole day of it like they did in the in the 70s and the 80s and have it on BBC One from 10 o'clock to kick off and, and engage with the fans and engage with everybody and everyone can get involved and... Hopefully we'll have a step in that direction in the future, uh, James. But let's talk Premier League now. Final game of the season. United travel to Wolves. Uh, Man City are at home to Everton. Obviously, the seasons have, have kind of gone now, uh, but it'll be good to finish off with a win. Yeah, most certainly, because Leicester beat us, Liverpool beat us. So we want a couple of good wins, don't we? Just to finish off the campaign, to solidify you know, that second place and finish on a positive note and then you know, ride into the Europa League against Villarreal and get that win there. One thing I think needs to be mentioned quickly while we're on the topic of Manchester United, because the next player of theirs, Cristiano Ronaldo, has bagged his 777th career goal. And, Paul, that is just an out-of-this-world stat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's something special. I mean, it's all right saying uh, he knows where the, the back of the net is, but that, that, is, um, that is a tremendous goal-scoring record. That and I, I can't think of any better than that, to be honest with you. Yeah, most certainly not. And Rob, we talked about him before, Zlatan Ibrahimovic coming back for the European Championships out of international retirement. We talked about whether that was controversial or not. Well, it seems our opinions are irrelevant anyway because he's injured and out of that and he'll be gutted. And do you think Sweden will be as well? Yeah, I, th- I think him and his last hurrah in in the World Championships at the end of, end of the European Championships or at the end of the season w- would have been a great way to end uh, for him. And Obviously, they miss it now with injury. Heartbreak for him and heartbreak for Sweden. But talking about big finishes, uh, James, um, Aguero may finish with a cha- uh, with a Champions League final medal. That'll be a that'll be an interesting. Thing. Obviously, one of Man City's top goal scorers in his career. And if he can finish off with a, a Champions League winners medal, that'll be perfect before he moves on to Barcelona or any other club he might join. Yeah, he's an incredible player, Sergio Aguero. One thing he is missing is a Champions League winner's medal. Of course, he never did it at Atletico, uh, and he's never done it at Manchester City either. So he'll be absolutely giving it his all when Manchester City take on Chelsea. If they're going to get an opportunity to win a Champions League, this is the best possible one for them. Chelsea aren't the greatest team in Europe. They're good, but Manchester City are more than capable of beating them. The cards have fallen in their favour, and they need to take advantage of this. And another team who I think need some recognition on the show this week is Rangers, Rob, who have gone invincible. And what an iconic rise that's been from Rangers. You know, they had that issue a few years ago, financial troubles, getting dropped a few divisions. And now they're back and going invincible. What a side they are. Yeah, Glasgow Rangers and obviously Glasgow Celtic, both passionate sets of fans. And obviously been Rangers going down to the, to the second division in Scotland. It's been a long way back for them. And, you know, with all the financial strife that that went on as well, for their fans to enjoy this moment going undefeated through the season, Stephen Gerrard in charge of that of that club, you know, with all his Liverpool connections, never managed to win the Premier League. Now he's won a Scottish Premier League, which which is great for him. Obviously, with with two minutes to go, uh, James, 
after all the the domestic stuff, uh, which will probably end this this week, we've got the Euros, and uh, Gareth Southgate will be looking at picking his his uh, squad to 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 go. Um, looking at that strike force, uh, James, who do you pick? Who do you think will be uh, the the top four strikers to go? Who are you looking at? Vardy, Rashford, Kane. You know. They're the big three. I mean, I think they absolutely have to go in there. And if the question is, Rob, who is the number fourth? Who's the extra pick? It's a good question. Obviously, I'd be looking at it. Uh, you've got Kane. Uh, you've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Danny Ings, maybe. Jesse Lingard as well. He's popped up with a few goals. And it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there, Paul. With a minute to go, how excited are you about the, the Euros? Obviously, England playing quite well. Uh, looking to to break that duck and, and, and win the uh, the Euros. I just hope England don't get caught out in the in the Euros by a VAR decision. It's normal that we get beat on penalties by somebody, but you can see it coming. Country going to lose, but in a semi-final or, or have something disallowed by VAR. I just hope there's no controversy and they play to the potential. And if they do, I think they've got a very, very good chance of doing very, very well. Yeah, thirty seconds to go, James. Um, Kane, he'll be the main man. But Dominic, Dominic Calvert Lewin, you know, scoring goals for Everton, and you're hoping that he can uh, he can turn it on for England when he gets the chance. Most certainly, we don't care about club football or who you're playing for when we turn up as international players. All we want is that you find the net for our country. And you know what, Rob? I'm feeling it. Who knows? Maybe England can give us a bit of magic. We'll have to wait and see what happens and we'll be tuning in on the Sports Zone talk all about it. Big thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.